Our scripture, second scripture lesson, is from the book of Genesis and comes from the lectionary and is probably not one that's great to read just after a baptism, but we'll read it anyway. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word as it comes to us from Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. God said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, father, And he said, here I am, my son. He said, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to harm him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the word spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Amen. Tis the season, the season of vacation Bible schools. And just as we at First Presbyterian Church had our annual program a few weeks ago, it's the week of in Garrison Keillor's fictional hometown of Lake Wobegon, Minnesota. Vacation Bible school has started over at the Lutheran Church, he says. All these little children were there, including many children from Minneapolis, sent up to stay with their grandparents for the two weeks of Vacation Bible school. Many of their parents, grown children themselves, moved to Minneapolis to get away from the Lutheran Church. Nonetheless, when it comes to their children, they send them to be with their grandparents to go to Vacation Bible school hoping that the children will learn enough so that when they backslide, they won't fall off the cliff altogether. Keeler says it was 
frightening to drive by Vacation Bible School last week and to see a clown in the parking lot dancing around with the children. A clown. People drove around the block to check it out. It was a clown with a big red nose and a big red fright wig and polka dot pants. It was the, wife's pa- the wife of the pastor, Judy Inquist. What in the Lord's name? We do not have children come to Vacation Bible School to have a good time. What is she thinking? They're supposed to come to Vacation Bible School to hear the stories that they need to hear and the stories that may not be told them in Minneapolis in the church of the Sunday brunch that their parents attend. They're supposed to come to Vacation Bible School to hear about Adam and Eve. And they're supposed to, be, supposed to hear about Noah and the ark. And not just about the rainbow and the dove and the olive branch, but the rest of it, the ugly part. They're supposed to get these stories. You're supposed to get the story of the prodigal son so that later in your life, when you do that yourself, you know how the story winds up. You're supposed to hear about Job in Vacation Bible School. That's not a nice story. It's not a popular story. Now, the story of Moses, there's a popular story. The baby who's found in the bulrushes and taken into Pharaoh's home, the child who will one day lead a rebellion against the very family that brought him up. That's a popular story. That's a story that children believe. Children love the story about putting a rock in a slingshot and making a very large person fall down. That's a popular story with children. But the teacher, Healer continues, the teachers have their own story. They hold on to it, keep it in reserve just in case. Whenever there's a discipline problem, they know exactly what to do. The teachers tell the story of Abraham and Isaac, the story of a man who loved his child, but when God said, kill him, to sacrifice him, The father looked around for a knife. Children, Keeler concludes, children get very, very quiet when they hear that story. It's easy to make jokes, but the truth is that this story of the near sacrifice of Isaac is a profoundly troubling story. It's a story that suggests child abuse, murder, family violence, perhaps even madness. It begs any number of questions. How did Abraham know it was God speaking? Did he decide to obey immediately? Or did he at least take some time and think about it? And maybe what's even more troubling than that is the big question. What kind of God would make that sort of request of a person? Sacrifice your son, your only son, whom you love. Immediately, or incidentally, this is the first time the word love is mentioned in the Bible, which somehow makes this story that much more poignant. In the Hebrew tradition, this story is known as the Akedah, which means the binding. It's a story traditionally told at the Rosh Hashanah celebration, which is the beginning of the new year on the Jewish calendar. The story begins with God deciding to put Abraham to the test. 
God tells Abraham to take Isaac and to offer him up as a sacrifice. Abraham and Isaac travel for three days to Mount Moriah, to the place that would later become the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, where Solomon would build the Holy Temple. Abraham binds Isaac to an altar in the wilderness and raises the knife. Just as he's about to slaughter Isaac, the angel calls out, Abraham, Abraham. Then God tells Abraham that he's passed the test because he was willing to sacrifice his only beloved son. And instead of Isaac, they sacrifice a ram. Now, throughout the years, I bet I've read a dozen commentaries on this passage. And I have to tell you, I still cannot make peace of it. Most of the commentaries concentrate on Abraham. The Akedah, as it says right in the first verse, was a test for Abraham, designed to determine once and for all Abraham's obedience to God. Just as he's about to kill Isaac, an angel stops him and says, For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Some of the commentaries say something like, Abraham passes the test. So like Abraham, we should all be willing to do whatever it takes, whatever God asks of us, even if what God asks seems utterly appalling. I don't love this interpretation. Then there are other commentaries that concentrate on the particular kind of sacrifice Abraham is asked to make. The sacrifice of a child. In that day, about 1,800 years before Christ, child sacrifice, shockingly, was not uncommon. Some scholars go so far as to suggest that it was even practiced among the early Israelites. The story in that case becomes a rebuke against child sacrifice. This version of the message is, be like Abraham. Even if it sounds like God is telling you to sacrifice your child, don't do it. God doesn't want that. Still, other interpretations suggest that Isaac was significantly involved in the whole affair. By most accounts, at the time of the journey, Isaac is a preteen boy, about 10, 11, or 12, old enough to carry wood at least. Other accounts, though, suggest that he's a full-grown man, maybe as old as 37. In either case, Abraham is at least 110 years old. The story explicitly states that Abraham bound Isaac. So whether he was a boy or a man, these interpreters suggest that Isaac, at either age, would have had to comply with the binding. So the message of that version is, be prepared like Isaac to sacrifice yourself to God. But I wonder, I wonder if maybe we're looking in the wrong place here. Maybe this isn't a story about Abraham or Isaac at all. Maybe instead it's a story about God. Maybe it's a story about what God is able to do, not just a story about the God who tests, but about Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides about the God who makes promises and keeps them, about the God who's able to take a tiny handful of willing souls and turn them into a holy nation, 
a theme that gets repeated in our other story this morning of the first disciples from the Gospel of Matthew. These were not exactly the best and the brightest whom Jesus recruited. Four fishermen, two sets of brothers, going about their business when Jesus shows up and invites them to come along. Simon and Andrew didn't stand to lose much, apparently. From the passage, it's not a stretch to assume that they didn't even own a boat. Since Jesus finds them wading into the surf just off the shore, casting their nets and sorting the catch out on the beach by themselves. But James and John, more than likely, had stuff to walk away from. A boat, a family business, probably a crew, and their father, Zebedee. But by all accounts, all four of them just get up and leave it all behind. Not, no looking back, no regrets, at least none that we're told about. They turn away from everything that's familiar in order to follow a stranger who invites them along on a journey. And I think it's important to know that this was not the way things were done in those days. Rabbis did not seek students. Students sought rabbis. Teachers waited for people to come to them and then interviewed them carefully before deciding whether or not to take them on as as apprentices. No self-respecting rabbi would go out and recruit his own disciples. And if he had, he certainly would not have picked the four first people he laid eyes on, especially these four. But that's what sets Jesus apart. He walks out among ordinary working people, people just like us, and chooses them to be his students, his disciples, his friends. Most people hear this story of the first call of the first disciples right away and start worrying about whether they have what it takes. Could you do it? If a clear message came to you tomorrow afternoon, could you get up from your chair and walk out the door without taking your keys or turning off the lights? Could you abandon your grocery order in the line at Kroger and set off to only God knows where? We look at the disciples and think, wow, that's amazing. What faith, what heroes they were to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. But maybe they shouldn't get the credit at all. Maybe this isn't a story about them either, but another story about God and about the power of God to shape lives and to change hearts. Maybe this isn't a hero story, but a miracle story. Not a story about the courage of human beings who surrender their lives, but a story about the power of God who can walk right up to a group of fishermen and create faith where no faith was before. Create disciples where there were none just moments ago. This is not a story about us. This is a story about God and about God's ability to not only call us, but to also create us to be people who are able to follow. I remember a quote I heard once that said something like, 80% of life is just showing up. And maybe that's all the disciples had to do. They just showed up. Follow me, Jesus says, 
And immediately they left their nets and they followed. And that's all Abraham did as well. He just showed up. Abraham. Abraham, God calls. Haneni, Abraham replies in Hebrew. Here I am. Haneni, he says three times. First to God, then to Isaac, then to the angel. Hineni, here I am. Abraham just showed up. Simon and Andrew just showed up. James and John just showed up. So maybe all we have to do is just show up too. Because the rest is up to God. It's a mistake, I think, to assume that our following has to look like theirs. Maybe it doesn't mean packing up and heading out for parts unknown. Sometimes following means you just keep doing what you're already doing. It may mean taking care of Zebedee and Mrs. Zebedee when they're too old to catch fish. It may mean making sacrifices for the beloved child instead of making a sacrifice of the beloved child. It may mean casting the same old nets in a brand new way for a new reason, doing something different with the fish you catch or spending the money they bring at market in a whole new way. If the story is about being swept up in the flow of God's will, then it seems to me that it will be a different story for every one of us in our own individual lives. The possibilities for following are endless, but the one constant is this. The God who calls us can be counted on to create us to be people who are able to follow. All we have to do is just show up. Amen. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, you call to us and often we question whether we are able to come. And yet you call to us over and over again. You claim us over and over again. And so we come as people burdened, as people that know sorrow and pain, but people that also know joy. You call to us, you came to us in flesh incarnate in Jesus Christ, who calls to us still to come to this table with all that we are, no matter who we are, no matter what baggage we carry. For this is not our table, but your table. And you ask us to come and be nourished, to know your grace, to know your peace, to know your justice and mercy. And so, God, meet us here at this table. Send your spirit over this bread and this cup, that we might taste and see that grace and take it out into the world with us after we have been nourished by you. So come, O oh God, and meet us here. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.